Well, good morning, Bethel Southwest. It's uh, Alan here, and so good to get to be with you this morning. It's a privilege every single time I have the chance to open up God's Word and to get to unite together, even through the screen, um, as we look into God's Word to worship here. Now, some of you I haven't had the chance to meet. I want to say hello. Uh, I get the privilege of getting to be the lead pastor here over um, our church called Bethel. And, uh, and maybe you're wondering whether today uh, we're seeing you for the first time through the screen or, or maybe you've wondered this the last couple times you've seen a video sermon. Why do we do these video sermons? Well, the, the history of our church, Bethel Southwest here in December, you know, about eight, nine months ago, we launched this new church plant in Bethel Southwest. And we really see it just like if you have a child, there are these phases you walk through in parenting with your child where you have a baby and at infancy that baby is, is in needy um, for all the help and support for mom, for food, for clothing, for life, for everything, right? And then that child grows up from infancy to be a, you know, a young child and maybe they go off to kindergarten, starting to get their own two legs underneath them, starting to uh, exercise some independence, but still a fair bit of connection. Then you get to teenagehood and they're exercising all kinds of you know, independence until finally you get to adulthood. Well, we really see that that's how church planting works too. That, that to build a healthy church is not just to, you know, birth it and then say, oh, see ya, we're done, but actually to help grow through those sort of phases of, of, of infancy to, um, you know, a young child to teenagehood and ultimately to full-fledged. And so that heart is what's behind us as Bethel Strathroy wanting to support and come alongside you at Bethel Southwest, coming alongside Pastor Nick and Emily as they're leading this. And, and that's what leads us to have the support through preaching, having some of our team go out there, preach live through video preaching. That's what has our team help out in worship progressively as you guys are getting your teams developed on the kids' ministry front, financially as a church, for Nick on the staff front. And, and so bit by bit, it's our prayer and heart, and we're seeing God do amazing things through uh, the work in Bethel Southwest by His Spirit to see you guys grow from, from that infancy stage towards childhood, you know, teenagehood, and then ultimately um, young adult and adult on your own. And so uh, it, it really is a privilege to get to walk this journey together, to get a front row seat, to see all that God is doing. And today, as part of how we live that out, to dive into God's Word. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and prepare to hear from the Lord. Thank you, God, so much for this day. Thank you for Bethel Southwest, for our brothers and sisters there who you are working in, on, and through. Thank you for those who are joining us today. And as we unite together um, to look into your word, we ask, speak to us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. In 2022, the World Health Organization found that more people had died from car accidents than HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria combined. In 2022, more people had died from car accidents than, than HIV, malaria, and tuberculosis all put together. In our own province here, one in five of those car accident deaths happens as a result of fatigue. Somebody 
falling asleep behind the wheel. Have you ever found yourself in that spot where you're starting to doze behind the wheel as you're driving? I saw another report in the US that one in 25 adults in the last month surveyed had said they have. One in 25 in this last month has found themselves dozing to sleep behind the wheel. And, and when that happens, if you've ever had that happen, there, there's a four-step process that, that goes on, okay? First of all, you're driving along behind the wheel and you're getting tired, right? That's step number one, you're driving along. And then step number two, your eyes start to feel heavy and your head starts to kind of nod, right? And then step number three, you start to, without even realizing, you're veering off the side of the road. And then all of a sudden, maybe those rumble strips, you know, like you hit them and you shake you awake again, or you're veering the other way and it's like a horn jars you awake and, you're like, oh, and your eyes are wide open. And hopefully, most of the time, that's the end of it. But all too often, that whole cycle begins again and can lead to deadly consequences. The psalm we're looking at today was written 2,500 years or more ago. And of course, they didn't have people falling asleep behind the wheel and dying while driving from fatigue. I don't know if they had, you know, falling asleep behind the chariot sort of scenario, but they didn't have that going on. But the psalmist is going to talk about a cycle. See, he sees a cycle happening in the people around him, in the scriptures, that is deeply concerning to him, a four-step cycle that, that actually, I think, is a lot like that cycle that we might be familiar with from driving our cars. And, and it's my hope, actually, that if you, if you think of those four steps from eyes wide open, driving but tired, to starting to droop and head nodding, to veering off until this alarm wakes you up, hopefully before deadly consequences. If you think about that cycle, visualize in your mind's eye that cycle as we go through here and see the parallels, it's gonna really help you to understand the psalm and not only understand it, but internalize and remember what God's word has for us today. So this morning we're in Psalm 78. Grab your Bibles out, whether you got a hard copy like this or on your phone or whatever it's got you've got. And we're in Psalm 78, and Asaph, led by the Holy Spirit, is deeply concerned about us. Verse 1 begins and says, O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. This psalm here, Psalm 78, is, is quite a bit different than most of the other psalms we've been looking at this summer and that you find in the book of Psalms. This psalm is actually a psalm of teaching, okay? It's a song that was sung by the people, but it's kind of like, I don't know if you grew up in a tradition or maybe even in your family, you do catechisms with your kids. Catechisms are, are these question and answer responses that you've got to try and you repeat them to learn lessons about God. Okay, so you ask the question, answer, and you recite it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth enough until it finally logs into your mind and your heart and you remember it and internalize it. Now our psalm isn't catechisms in the sense of repeating question and answers, but it's that same sentiment. Okay, We're going to sing this song. We're going to go through this, pr this prayer, this teaching for us. 
And God put it in the Psalms to have us recite it over and over and over again, so many times that it finally gets lodged in our heads and in our hearts. He says, verse 2, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. I'm going to tell you some parables. I'm, I'm going to tell you some stories. I'm going to recount some stories for you. In fact, actually, my count in this psalm, it's a lengthy one, there's 18 different Old Testament stories that are referenced here in this psalm. 18 different stories. And what he's going to do is he's going to show us with each of these different stories, hey, they keep going on this cycle. This four-step cycle of driving along, eyes start to doze, head starts to bob, veer off to the side, and jar you awake. He's going to go through this cycle using these stories three times to drive this home and to show us this this is a big deal that we need to take note of as he uses the Old Testament stories. And, and I'll tell you what the cycle is, okay? So if you think, first of all, driving along, picture as you're driving along, God is at work in your life. He's carrying you along. But what happens is from step two of driving along, God's with you, carrying you along, your eyes start to doze and your head starts to nod. You forget that God is there with you, carrying you along. And then without even maybe realizing, you start to veer off and, and the thankfulness to God for him caring for you and driving you along was replaced with, with a, because you're forgetting a sense of bitterness and complaining and ingratitude until finally maybe something jars you awake, a shocking moment comes to bring you back to the top of the cycle until you do the whole thing again. And the psalmist here is trying to say, we need to be so careful. I need to tell you these stories because if you don't realize that you're on this cycle, the consequences are going to be eternally deadly for you. Verse 4, we will not hide them from our children. We won't hide the stories. We won't hide this cycle that goes on. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children that God's driving along with you, that he's there with you, that he's carrying along. Then they would put their trust, verse 7 says, in God and would not forget his deeds. So they would not have their eyes start to bob and heads start to nod. They wouldn't forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So they would not be, verse 8, like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him, who veered off, ignoring the rumble strip, and went right into the ditch. The psalmist is saying, we need to tell these stories and the, the point of this cycle so that it won't keep happening. Because it's going to cost you and I, our lives, and our children, and our children's children, their lives, if we don't stop the cycle. The psalmist here is urgently pleading with us today, the readers of this psalm, to recite these stories so that we would stop 
the deadly cycle that can cost us our lives. Verse 9, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown. Ephraim, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel from the line of Joseph, the psalmist mentions they went out to battle. They got their bows out, marched out to the battle lines, and then when they got to the battle line, something happened. They were terrified and they came running back. They were armed up for the day of battle, but verse 9 says they were turned back, terrified. And verse 11 says they had forgotten what God had done. Now, historically, we don't know exactly what situation Asaph is referring to here. We just don't, we don't see an immediate connection in the scriptures. We don't see an immediate connection to what this battle was in the historical records. We don't know exactly what it is. But as I've been studying this, it seems to me that what's happening here, I think, I think, I don't know for sure because we don't see it, but, but it seems like this battle has actually perhaps just happened right in front of, right around Asaph. A bunch of the men got ready for battle. They got the bows. They went out and then they came running back terrified. And Asaph sees all of this go on because they had forgotten about God. And it's like a trigger for him. He's like, whoa, 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 I'm seeing the cycle starting here with the people right in front of me. These men of war from Ephraim, I'm, I'm seeing them going down this cycle and I need to like shout from the rooftops, stop, so that the deadly cycle doesn't keep going and cost them their lives. We need to stop this right now. Some of us today, right now, you walked into church at the Ag Hall today, and you're going through this cycle. We're going through life and God's with us. But then the eyes of our souls start to close and our heads start to nod, and we forget that God is with us. And we start to veer off the road without even realizing our thankfulness to God for him being with us. Our understanding of his presence with us is flipped and forgotten and swapped out with a sense of bitterness and frustration and ingratitude. And we're veering off until maybe finally some, some rumble strips on the side wake us up to bring us back on. We, we live this cycle. Like, for example, think about perhaps, I don't know, your job, maybe? See, maybe you start out with that job and it's like, man, God so profoundly gave me this job. Like, you have no idea. I was looking for a job. God provided and it was like, oh, amazing miracle. Answer to prayer and I got this job. And so you cruised along for a while just with such thankfulness and praise to God and gratitude in your heart for God giving you this job until your eyes of your soul started to sort of close and you started to forget that God had given you this job. You started to forget and not notice that God is there with you in the midst of every single day providing for you and your family through this job. And as you started to go, all of a sudden you're veering off on the road and the things that used to make you so grateful are now actually turned around and replaced with bitterness and complaints and ingratitude. Like, for example, the money that was being provided for you and your family through this job that you were so thankful to God for has now become a source of bitterness towards your boss because why haven't they given you more raises? 
or, or, or maybe it's the fact that this, this work that you were given to look after you and your family, the hours now have become the thorn in your side because now they restrict the freedom that you really want to have in your life. The job that you had that was such a gift has now become this bitter pill until finally something jars you awake. I don't know if it's the loss of a job and then now you start to realize, oh, I didn't see how good I had it. Or if it's a health crisis that hits and it's like, man, if I didn't have the insurance from this job, then I don't know where I would be right now or whatever it is. It could have been so much worse. It's shocking. It's painful. It's difficult. But something has jarred you awake to see, oh, wow, actually that really was from God walking with me. And you're back on the driving until the cycle continues. The deadly cycle, the danger of it is that if you, if you run this cycle too many times and you don't get off the loop, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. The bitterness goes deeper and deeper and deeper until finally the consequences for our souls are eternally devastating. Do you know what cycle I'm talking about? Do, do, do you get it? Do you know it? Asaph seems to see this deadly cycle happening right in front of him, in front of the people. He sees it looking back and he's going to tell some stories to us now to show us, hey, this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new thing. In fact, let me, let me trace a whole bunch of stories from the Old Testament to show you this just keeps happening in the people of God over and over and over again. And oh, you need to be careful. Verse 12, he starts to show us the beginning of this masterclass survey of this deadly cycle in the Old Testament. God did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the waters stand firm like a wall. He, he's talking here about Exodus chapter 14. The people of God were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. God miraculously brought them out of slavery. They wandered into the wilderness until finally they end up stuck between Pharaoh's oncoming chariot armies and the wall, the water uh, of the Red Sea. They don't know what they're going to do. Men, women, and children are in deep despise and, and unsure until God breaks open the walls and divides the sea and makes it stand up like walls of water on either side. Verse 14, he guided them with the cloud by day and the light from the fire all night. That's Exodus 40, verse 36. As the people of God, after they got through the, the Red Sea, they wander around in the wilderness. God showed his very presence and led them by his very presence. A giant cloud during the day, and it would turn into a pillar of fire at night to show God was with them. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. That's Exodus 17. The people were in the desert, <laughs> like the desert. It's dry. It's parched. There's, there's wilderness. There's no water. And they're like, what are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? And so God tells Moses, hey, go over to that rock and touch it with your staff. And Moses touches it with the staff. And out of a rock in the desert comes a rushing stream of pure, perfect, wonderful water for them just to drink up. 
But verse 17 says, they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. See, they're driving along and God is with them. But even as God is working to part the sea, have the cloud of his presence, show them water from the rock, their eyes start to close and their heads start to nod. And as they veer off, all of a sudden, the ingratitude and complaining starts. Gratitude turned into complaining. Rather than thanking God for all that he had done, they complained about what they didn't have and how they wanted more. Verse 18, they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. Water isn't enough, God. Parting the sea isn't enough, God. We want food. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the desert when he struck the water, the rock water gushed out and stream flowed abundantly? But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for us? Think about that. God I know you provided water from a rock, but can you even make more happen? Come on, God. That's what they're saying. Forget what God has done. What are you doing for me lately, God? And so when the Lord heard this, he was angry, very angry. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose up against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. God is like the the horn in the other lane gets blared now, okay? You've you've fallen asleep, you're veering off. It's like, wake up. God is like, no way you just said that to me. He gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them grain of heaven. God did this as they yell out. Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east winds from the heavens and led forth the south winds by his power. He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like the sand of the seashore. He made them come down inside the camp all around their tents. They ate till they had more than enough, for he had given them what they craved. But before they turned from the food they craved, even while it was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them and he put them to death, the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. This is a story right out of Numbers chapter 11. You can go read it this afternoon if you want. As they're complaining, God brought like hundreds of thousands of birds right into their camp. And the birds hovered, it says, three feet off the ground and just sat there. So they literally walk out their tents and go and like just grab a bird and catch it. And it's like, oh, we're going to have barbecue. Everybody just grab as many birds as you want, except they gorged themselves on it. And it led to their demise. They veered off the road, hit the rumble strips of warning, and they didn't listen, and it led to their death. Verse 32, in spite of all of this, they just kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. They dozed off, drove off into their demise. That's the cycle that we see amongst the people of God. 
There's a bit of a commentary here. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. Their eyes would wake up after they hit a little bit of the rumble strips at first, wide awake driving down the road, seeing that God is with them and a little bit of like holy terror. But then they eagerly turned to him. They remembered that God was their rock, that God was their most high. God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths. They would lie with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him and they were not faithful to his covenant. The cycle just kept happening. They're driving along. They see God is working. Their eyes start to close. They start to veer off. The rumble strip wakes them up. They drive back, but then they just keep going off until finally it's too late. He was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but a flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. God was so patient and so gracious with them. How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the wasteland again and again and again and again and again and again and again. They put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. The cycle just kept going on and on and on. And the psalmist is like, don't you see? Don't you see the cycle? Don't you see this cycle in your own life? Wake up. Wake up from the stupor. Don't keep going. It's going to cost you your life. Don't just keep white-knuckling it. It will lead to your death. Verse 32 He goes back through the whole cycle all over again, a second time. Verse 42, they did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the oppressor. The day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan. And he recounts now, he's going to over the next few verses, 44 to 52. We don't have time to go through all of them, but he's going to recount in those verses the, in, the entire journey of God bringing about the plagues, the miraculous plagues to free his people from Egypt. Under slavery, the, the first 13 chapters of the book of Exodus. And then he brought them to the border of his holy land after he brings them out from Exodus, after he brings them out through the Red Sea, and they wander around in the land. We read in verse 44, he brought them to the holy land, to the holy country his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them and allotted the lands to them as their inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. He used Joshua to lead them into the promised land. But guess what they did? God is at work all around them. They're driving along and then their eyes start to close and their head starts to bob and they forget that God's working and they start to veer off the road. Verse 56, but they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes. Like their fathers, they were disloyal and faithless and unreliable as a faulty bow. The rumble strips are hit and it warns them, wake up, wake up. But do you think they listen? Well, how's the cycle go? The horn was blazing, the rumble strips are rattling, but they ignored it all. When God heard them, 
In their disbelief and their complaining, he was very angry. He rejected Israel completely. And the psalmist starts talking about 1 Samuel chapter 4 and then into chapter 5 where the Philistines came and stole the Ark of the Covenant. And then in verse 62, he gave his people over to the sword. He was very angry with his inheritance. Fire consumed their young men and their maidens had no wedding songs. The priests were put to the sword and their widows could not weep. The people had no idea what to do because they're flipped over in the ditch because they just kept going and the cycle kept repeating itself and they were so devastated they were so broken they were shaken but did they stop they just kept driving right to their destruction they just kept going with this cycle and we all do this cycle how many of us how many of us have yearned for kids, begged the Lord for kids, prayed for God to bring a spouse into our lives so that we could have kids. And now, all that comes out of our lips is our complaints, our frustration, our tiredness, our envy of somebody else's kids who are able to do such and such, or the life that they live, or the, oh, but I wish I could, and oh, I can't wait until retirement. And the provision that God gave to us right in front of us, bringing us along, becomes the source of our complaints. How many of us have yearned to buy a home and prayed, oh, Lord, give me a home, and now all of a sudden, We've forgotten how good we have it, and we're so envious of that neighbor down the street who just upgraded whatever. Or we complain about having to cut the grass and all the expenses of fixing the roof and all that comes out of our mouth. We've forgotten as we veer off the road all that God provided for us. How many of us long to be able to buy a home and we miss the fact that God miraculously and powerfully provided us the apartment that we now live in and this just isn't good enough for me. How many of us are so frustrated with the price of groceries going up and up and up and how expensive it all is and we miss the fact that, oh wait, God has even given us the ability to go down the street to a grocery store and bring them home to a home where we have a fridge you, you realize how many people in the world and how many people in past generations would die for the fact that we have a refrigerator we can just stick our food in, right? To preserve it for more than a day or two. How many of us are so bitter and jaded towards church? The church we went to, the people that were there looking down our noses at them, missing out on the fact that God has been oh so patient and gracious to us, forgetting the fact that around the world at this moment right now and in the history of our brothers and sisters before us, there are millions upon millions who have to walk miles and it may even cost them their lives to get to go to any church. And yet we have such bitterness over the little things that happened in our church background. All of this is the cycle that goes on and on and on where we see God working, but our eyes close. We start to doze. We turn into complaints until it leads to a uh, alarm that hopefully will stop us. But far too often, we just ignore it and keep going on till our death. One more time, a third time, the psalmist returns to this cycle. 
Verse 67, then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. God turned away from the prize duck Ephraim and chose the lowly Judah. He made his house in Jerusalem and God is at work. Okay, God is at work. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he had established forever. He chose David, King David, David and Goliath, that David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. The third cycle points us to David, a man We read in other parts of the scriptures after God's own heart. A shepherd of the people, a shepherd of integrity. And then the psalm abruptly ends. The cycle stops. And and at this point, we should be jarred. We should be jarred to be like, wait, wait, wait a minute. We saw the cycle happen over and it led to their death and then over and it led to their death and then over and all of a sudden it just ends at David and he's the shepherd who looks after the people. Has David finally been the one who's going to end the cycle? Is this the end of the cycle and we finally get out of it? And the answer is no and yes. I mean, it's no because although the psalm ends here, if you know any more about David's life, he actually just continued the cycle himself. He did pretty good for a while. He followed after God pretty well for a while until finally his own anger and his own different stuff set in until finally he started complaining about what God had given to him and he started envying another dude's wife and went and cheated on his wife and had an affair with her and then killed the guy's husband and everything just blew up as he drove off the road into the exact same spot. So, Our psalm ends with David making us think, is the cycle really over? And the answer is no. No, David just continued the cycle. And it just keeps going over and over and over and over again. But the answer is also yes, because David here is a pointer for us. See, David, the shepherd of integrity, David, the shepherd of God's people, David, the one who came and ruled in Zion for a period of time, is a pointer ahead to one who actually did come and break the cycle. To his great, 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 great grandson, who came and lived a life in the midst of all the brokenness, and yet he was the first one to stop the cycle. His name was Jesus. He was the one who came, just like David from his family, as a shepherd, the ultimate good shepherd, who came to Jerusalem to break down the perpetual cycle of death by living a perfect life of obedience by surrendering his life so that death could be overcome, by living a life in the midst of the brokenness so that our deadly cycle could finally be squashed. He broke this cycle by living his whole life, seeing the Lord, following him along the whole way. He never veered off the side into bitterness or complaining, but he always came back to thankfulness. He was 
the perfect one. He was the spotless one. He was the pure one who ended up in the ditch. Why? To rescue you and I from it. He was the one who went to the grave, even though he never deserved it, to finally break the cycle. This is why we read, for example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, this psalm before us here, it does two things for us. First of all, it is here given, as we go through all of these different stories from the Old Testament, to shake us up and see, don't keep going on this cycle, friends. It is deadly and it's going to cost you everything. You do not need to keep following. Oh, look at how others did this and you don't need to follow their track. And then two, it leads us to see the one who finally breaks the cycle. In the line of David, the rescuer who lived the perfect life and who died the death we deserve to die so that we might have a new way to life. If we would but run to him and surrender everything as our king, our shepherd, and our savior.